it's the example of working out like for exercise. We work outwardly something that's on the inside. So our muscles are there. We, when we work out, we're not creating muscles. Yeah. The so muscles God did are the work yeah. of God, God's will and God's work was giving us muscle. Now we have to do something with it. Now we have to work out our muscles. Correct. We he work it. Work them out for exactly. Us. He ain't gonna work them out for us. And we have to work them out and we will see on the outside the effects of our muscles yeah, on yeah. the inside what he's going to work out is the outward evidence is going to be you're not yeah. grumbling and complaining more so people should be able to look at us and say oh they're christians they they don't grumble they don't complain so look Something at the workplace yeah. at your job if you're a christian you should be the one who's not not that we don't make mistakes because we do make mistakes we're not perfect but like they should be able to say, oh, the Christians, we want to hire the Christians. They don't grumble and complain. But is that the case? Like, do you hear, oh, we want to hire the Christians that those, he said he's a Christian. We know those Christians, they don't, they don't grumble. They don't complain. Welcome back to the WordCast podcast episode Four, we are going through the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter, explaining just verse by verse, talking about the what it's telling us, going through a conversation. And this is just to invite you into the conversation about Scripture. Uh, so I'm Matt. This is my wonderful wife, April. And we are going to uh, jump in here in just a moment to the book of Philippians. But I encourage you, if you haven't been on that with us in the first three episodes, we broke down all of Philippians chapter one. We are halfway through Philippians chapter two in this episode. So go back, listen to those. If you have not, uh, you can find it on the Word Room YouTube channel or on Spotify or Google Podcasts. I'm excited to jump in. Are you excited? You got anything to add before we start? I'm excited. Woohoo! Let's jump right into the scriptures. So in Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through 18, we're going to read that portion talk about it, and then we'll jump into the rest. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What are your thoughts initially when you see that? Um, the first thing that sticks out to me is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because I think that verse has been misused a lot in the church. At least I think I've heard it be misunderstood or misused. I, I've seen my whole life. Out of context. Yeah, most people I've, I've seen use that a lot of times. They'll use it as a, a way to say, don't judge me. Like if they're doing something, you know, not right and it gets pointed out and in love, you know, sometimes people point out things in, in bad ways, but if even in pointing it out in love, it's you, I'm supposed to work out my own salvation. I, I get to come up with my own rules. Like, miss, what's between me and God? You ain't, so I'm working out my, my own, own interpretation. Yeah. Like, I don't need anybody else yeah, telling you, me what you to do. You can't tell me what the right way to live is. 
Yeah, and that's that's not what that verse is talking about. So in context, you know, we've been reading Philippians. In context, Paul is talking about the advancement of the gospel. He's talking about him being in prison and suffering for the Lord because he was obedient to the Lord, because he served the Lord and did not compromise. And he's talking about loving others and caring for others. And so in that, the context that he's talking about is actual action, actual work, work spreading the gospel, being faithful. And even in these verses we just read, you can see right there it says, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. So he's talking about obedience. And so when he talks about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's not talking about coming up with your own rules, your own interpretation of your salvation. He's saying, work out obedience, do the work. Um, he goes on to talk about God is working within you to will and to work. He's, it's talking about action. It's talking about doing something. And so it's the example I give that I think is a good example is God has done something in you. Yeah, because verse 12 ties in with verse 13. In verse 13, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. So tying that in that God is giving you not just his will, but to work. Right. So it's an outward working, like God does the work within us. God gives us the gospel and God does a transformation inside of us. And that transformation that God does inside of us is going to be inevitably worked out. Right. You're going to see evidence of what God did inside of you. You're yes. going to see evidence of that outside. on the outside. That's exactly right. That's the example. Like it's, it's the example of working out like for exercise, right? Mm -hmm. I'm working out. When I say I'm working out, I'm we can taking see evidence. You know, we that can, you have not we can see, <laughs> we can see the evidence here of, of my amazing workouts, you know, um, but no, yeah, there's we, no evidence here that we, we need evidence. <laughs> um, but the idea is that we work outwardly something that's on the inside. So our muscles are there. We, when we work out, we're not creating muscles. Yeah, the so muscles God did are the work yeah. of God, God's will and God's work was giving us muscle. Now we have to do something with it. Now we have to work out our muscles. Correct. We work it. work them out for Exactly. Us. He ain't going to work them out for us. And we have to work them out. And we will see on the outside the effects of our muscles yeah, on yeah. the inside. And so the idea will work out your salvation. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. The idea of working out your salvation is... God has done a work in you to save you and given you this faith, the salvation, but it's not intended to just be an inward work. It's intended that God has done it in you. It's in you now. Now you need to work it outwardly so that there's on the outside, there's a work that is evidence that God has done something on the inside. Yeah. You work it out, you exercise it. So we should be able to, if you proclaim Christianity, if you proclaim Christ, there should be evidence outwardly. We should, people around you should be able to see the work of God in you. Exactly. It should on be outside. on the outside. And there's, I grew up, I remember when I was in school, there was this, almost this context of, context of um, secret agent Christian, right? <laughs> right? Like you're, you're secret, you're hiding, you know. Be double quiet agent. about it, double agent. <laughs> Don't let anybody just be quiet about you. You can love God. Shh, 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 keep it quiet. But in reality, that's the exact opposite of what true salvation is. When, when you're truly saved, when God has truly done a work in you, there will be an outward working of that work inside of you. 
And that means obedience. He, he links this to obedience, right? He said, you've obeyed even in my presence. Now you've obeyed in my absence. Like you constantly, you obey the gospel. There's fruit, there's work. You're separate from the yeah. world. You're different from the world. And we should have the fruits of the spirit. We should, as Christians, have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. All things that uh, some of us aren't so good at. But God, they're fruits of the and the, the fruits of the spirit. spirit. Exactly. It's it's not something you can do in your own self. It's something God works in you and then you work outwardly. Um, Isn't there like a famous quote? And maybe it was just one of those quotes that they say it was by somebody and it wasn't. But it's like, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence <laughs> to convict you? Is that like a real thing? It's... <laughs> So there is a real saying that I've heard people say out there. I think you hear it in youth group. I think I've seen like memes of it, like on social media and they like, it's always a different person who supposedly <laughs> said it. But regardless, I feel like, or I think it's still like it's a true statement. valid. Yeah. And looking at your life, would there be enough in your life for someone to see that you're a Christian? Not just that you claim to be a Christian, but outwardly, can actually the world are. see that you are a Christian outwardly? Yeah, uh, and that's that's an important thing that I think most uh, most of the time some people lose sight of. That this Christian walk was never meant to be. I say a prayer, I get out of hell, I go to church, and you know that's the extent of my Christian you know, you're walk. Supposed to be transformed by yeah. the renewing of your mind transformed and, and that mind that you're renewed into is the mind of christ like we saw in the last episode mm -hmm. when we talked about the first oh, part of philippians 2 it all together. It's, all, it's all linking together it's like this is just the word of god or something where it just connects so so perfectly um but i think there's another interesting concept in this verse he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling oh we almost forgot that part I almost forgot the fear and trembling <laughs> and i think i think this is a super important point because i think sometimes first of all i think the the concept of the fear of God is completely misunderstood yeah. by a lot of people. And so I've heard it go both ways. I've heard the abuse of the concept of the fear of God where you're, you're, he, you know, he's mean God in the sky and you need to be scared of yeah, doing anything afraid. that can offend him. Fear yeah. of the Lord is not being afraid of right. the Lord. There's a difference. There is a big difference. I also hear, though, the other side of it where it removes the concept of fear altogether and just makes it just reverence. And the truth is, it, it, the word reverence was is a word that they knew back then. If they just meant reverence, they could have yeah. just said reverence the Lord instead of fear the Lord. The, the mm -hmm. concept is a mix of both. It's a, it's a holy fear recognizing who he is out of reverence. So, yeah, because it doesn't just say fear of the Lord. Like if it was just reverence and awe of the Lord, he also includes trembling. Like are you trembling because of the awesomeness of God? Like... It has to be more than just respect, because I can respect someone. I respect a lot of people, but it doesn't mean I'm going to tremble in their presence. So yeah. is that something to do with, like, the awesomeness of him, like, the holiness of him? Like, Yeah, I think the concept of tremble, I think there's a, there's a two-part reality to that. Number one, yeah, he's holy. He's a holy, pure, perfect righteous God. He is, in essence, what holiness is. He is what righteousness is. And in comparison, we should, like, in comparison to us, like, that should cause us to tremble. Like, 
I think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, Isaiah is caught up to see the Lord and sees him high and lifted up. Train of his robe fills the temple. You know, that whole story of Isaiah six is incredible. And in that chapter, he says, woe is me for I am unclean from a man of unclean lips. And he, like, he falls down. Like he, he, he trembles, he falls. He realizes the weight of his imperfections and his sins in the presence of God. And I think there's this aspect of trembling that when we realize who he is in comparison to who we are, mm-hmm. that should make us tremble. But it's not like, it's not like a trembling because you're afraid of God. It's a trembling because of just of his greatness. Like there's no other being like God. And right. when you see him when you see him rightly and have a revelation of him there's a trembling of like his awesomeness and his greatness and his power and how you are like in comparison to god like even though he loves us and there's like you're like a speck of a speck just a speck compared to to god and even like i've just got through reading exodus and like moses and the israelites even though they Moses wasn't like afraid necessarily, like afraid of God. Like there was like a awareness of his awesomeness. And mm-hmm. and I think the, a good difference between that is Moses's relationship with God and the fear of the Lord versus the Israelites and them being afraid. I mean, Moses saw God face to face, it says, and Moses was in the presence of God and Moses came out of the presence of God. His face was glowing with radiance. Think about Moses's response to the Israelites. response. The Israelites who didn't go up on the mountain. They didn't even want to go near they the mountain. Go, they were they like, were, no, they no, were, no, no, They were completely afraid. They were terrified. Whereas Moses had a trembling and a reverence and an awe and a recognition of who this God was and how if God wanted to, he could crush him like that recognition, but, he but didn't not being afraid to of run and hide. But the He's... difference between the two is that Moses knew God. They did. Yeah. So the Israelites, Moses was the one who went before God. Moses encountered God at the burning bush. Moses encountered God throughout all of the book of Exodus. So Moses had this fear of God that was coupled with, I know the nature of God, that he's a good God who loves us, who, who wants to deliver us, who wants to, and they had, they didn't have that relationship with God. And I think how you fear God changes from your position as sinner. Like your relationship. Yeah. A sinner who doesn't know God, the fear they have of God is a completely different type of fear because they, it's, you know, what was it, John Edwards? Sinners in the hands of an angry God, like mm-hmm. right, like it's this idea that there's this. Your position with God is different when you're a sinner who doesn't know God. But we're under the blood, but we're under grace and mercy because of the blood, and so because we know His goodness and His mercy, our fear doesn't take on the the concept of being afraid, but rather takes on the concept of I recognize who He is. He is so good and so big and so powerful that I recognize that and I'm going to live with the recognition of who he is. Like, I'm not going to put myself up there at his level. I'm going to recognize how broken I am in comparison to him and come to him humbly as a result. Mm-hmm. And um, so- I think, unfortunately, 
so often, at least in my experience, like in the American church, people just treat the presence of God so casually, just so flippantly, like yeah. they could be in a worship service and the presence of God could be so strong and they're scrolling on their phone, they're walking in and out of the room, they're just so casual about it. And I think part of fearing the Lord, reverencing and awing the Lord is like he is come in his presence, his glory is here, his presence is here. The God of the universe says presence is here. Like we cannot take this casually. We cannot take this just as an ordinary every day, like be on our phones, be up and down, be in the bathroom, like wandering around. Yeah, like we need to recognize And this is God. It's his spirit form. But like I've seen so many times like God's presence. We're supposed to be worshiping him like in a worship service. And half the people are just not even like yeah. Aware, like what's happening. This lack of awareness. And, and and I think that ties in with the the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Like having a reverence for his presence and a recognition, like, and then just goes back to, I think a lot of the fear of the Lord is just realizing who he is. Because if you realize that the king of the universe, the this God. God. Like if the president him, walks into the room, everybody has expected to get up. Yep. And no one's expected just to sit there and all eyes are on the president and what he has to say. And But unfortunately, the God of the universe, his presence is in the room and we're supposed to be worshiping him. And we just, it's just like, okay. We take it for granted so often. And that's that's sad, but it's because we don't have an awareness or a, or a true fear of God. that I feel It's like a revelation. They don't have a revelation or they're not, yeah. Of So linking this to fear and trembling to working out your salvation I feel like Paul is saying, like, look, God has done something in you. And you, because of your reverence and recognition of who he is, you should not take that for granted and you should do something with it. Imagine, imagine you as a parent. Imagine if you do something like, let's say you, you we, we know how it is as parents. You, you buy, let's say you buy something for your child. And you buy it thinking, I mean, you're so excited to give it to them. This is something. And then they just toss it aside and don't ever use it or ever think about it. Act like it's no big deal. You know, we love giving things to our kids. But if they, if they, you give them something and they just toss it aside like it's nothing and don't ever do anything with it. No value. You it. don't, they don't value it. You feel like, like, I, look, I bought that for you. Like I did that for you. And they just don't acknowledge it. That, that's the think how you feel as a parent with that. Mm -hmm. Now imagine how God feels when he sent his son to die for, for your salvation. And then you do nothing with it. You don't mm -hmm. work it out. Like imagine as it, that fear and trembling, that recognition of who he is and what he did should cause you to say, I can't just sit here and have this salvation on the inside of me. Yeah, I've got to do something with it because he paid such a high price. And I think there's also this false idea that I know I've heard it, that there's like the God of the Old Testament and the yeah. God of the New Testament and the Old Testament God was scary and you had to fear him. But like now in the New Testament, all of a sudden, like there's just another God or something. He's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He is not a different God. The only difference in the New Testament is that Christians are under the blood. That's the only difference why we don't have to, you know, be afraid 
is because we're under the blood. Yeah. We're not under wrath. We're under the blood. That's our position as Christians. If you're a Christian, you're under the blood. That's the only difference between New Testament and Old Testament. There wasn't some like different version of God in the Old Testament. Like he wasn't different. He, God didn't change in like the new covenant. Like he's the same God. He didn't change. And we we like to think a lot of times in our minds that he's he's different. Like now it's a new God and a different God. But and now he's. It's because we don't truly understand God. We don't understand the, the Old Testament. God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did not. He's the unchanging one. It's, We're just under the blood. There's a our position changed, but yeah, he didn't our position change. changed. But that's the idea I've heard. Like, oh, that was God of the Old Testament. You know, he was mean and he was angry, and this idea of like God was just out killing everybody in the Old Testament yeah, or something. And that's not the right view of God. God was merciful. Like, there's so much mercy shown throughout the Old Testament. God was merciful and kind and loving throughout the Old Testament. And gracious and compassionate. And he, also and had, he also had wrath. The only reason you see a major difference is because their position wasn't covered by the blood. So when wrath was poured out, they didn't now, have... Now, sinners should fear the yeah. Lord and be afraid of the Lord. Well, that sinners, goes back to... Because they're under yeah. wrath. They're not under the blood. Exactly. But... For Christians, our position of fearing the Lord shifts from, I'm afraid, to I recognize who he is. I don't deserve it. But we're, I fall yeah. to my knees in, in grateful worship and thankfulness for because the fact that he's a good blood. God. Yeah, yeah, and we know that we're under the blood. Like, right. And that, his, and that gives that us mercy boldness to approach his throne Yeah, because we're under his blood and the veil now, was the, torn. It, it, and that's an incredible reality that I think we don't acknowledge enough to understand that he is a God who he could snap his fingers and we'd be gone. And he doesn't because he loves us. That's incredible reality. But the next thing that he says in this verse, I think is interesting. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in, a, in the world by holding firm to the word of life. There's several things there, but first let's just talk about do, do all things without grumbling or arguing. Um, what are your thoughts on that phrase? Nuts. <laughs> okay, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul. <Sure thing. laughs> Paul, Paul, Paul. <laughs> um, I think this is hard for us to do. And notice he said, do everything, do all things. Like, not some things, not the things that are easy, not the things you like. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And the word arguing there can mean arguing or complaining. Like the like, Israelites did. Yes. Grumbling, like, complaining. Yeah, we're reading the book of Exodus with our kids. Um, our kids are homeschooled. And in their Bible class, where we're we're talking about the book of Exodus. And all the Israelites did is grumble, grumble and complain, and complain over and, complain. and over and over again. And they're just complaining and complaining. And the reason why I think, and I think this is interesting because I, I think they grumbled and complained because they didn't have a right view of God. Like all of their complaining yeah. was God brought us out here to die. Trust God. Yeah. 
they didn't have a right view of them, right? They didn't think, yeah. oh, God, yeah, God's powerful enough to deliver us from Egypt, but he's not good enough to yeah. take care of us. We're going to starve. We're yeah. going to die of thirst and because I, they didn't trust God. And I think maybe one of the reasons he says do not grumble and do not complain is because I think grumbling and complaining shows that we don't trust God. Like if we're complaining, we're complaining what? That God's not good enough? That God's not going to come through? Exactly. That, what are we complaining about? That, I mean, what what are we complaining about? Well, I think it's interesting he says this in the context of working out our salvation. Yeah, it all ties together. And I think it's interesting that he's saying, do everything without grumbling and complaining. Well, A, I think there's twofold. Number one, I think there's a big part of working out our salvation, a big part of that outward reality of the salvation on the inside of us affecting our outside is it affects our mentality and, and attitude. Attitude, yeah. Um, but I think beyond that, I also think there's this aspect that working out your salvation, even though we would think, oh, it's the easiest thing in the world, I think there's an aspect of it that it's not necessarily easy, that your natural inclination would be to complain and grumble. Yeah, like yourself, like, because... If you're grumbling and complaining, I feel like it's usually because you feel like it's something's been done to you or it's like it's selfishness, really. Like, oh, I have to do this. Oh, it's so annoying. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But that's really because you're not in that mindset. I feel like if you're not living for in that in that moment, in that mindset is not a mindset of living for Jesus. It's not a mindset of living for Christ. It's not a mindset of I'm dead to myself because in that moment, you're not living dead to yourself because complaining and grumbling is all about me, myself, and I. Like, right? We grumble because I'm more tired and this is hard. And I don't want to. These yeah. people are annoying. It's all about you. It's that's so selfish and self-absorbed. And so far, the whole thing we've read in Philippians is dying to self. You know, not living for yourself, dying to flesh. I feel like grumbling and complaining is just a huge um indicator that you are in a selfish mindset you're yeah. in selfishness i think i mean think about think about the the so what scripture teaches scripture tells jesus tells us we're to love our enemies yeah. well that grumbling and complaining is very easy to do when i'm dealing with an enemy right like if, I mean, we even do never mind enemies we grumble and complain with our families like <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I have to do everything around here. No one else around here helps me. And that's just, you're grumbling and complaining against your own family, your own brothers and sisters in Christ, your own flesh and blood. But it's because of selfishness. It's all yeah. about me and extra burden on me and the work I have to do. And I'm not appreciated. And, and it's if, me, 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 me. If we would Selfish. think about others, he just told us earlier in this very chapter, he said to consider others more important than ourselves. Yeah. So if you're really truly considering others better than yourself, you're not going to be grumbling and complaining. Exactly. And I think this all ties together of, of taking on the mind of Christ and, and living our lives like he lived. He, Jesus wasn't walking around grumbling and complaining yeah. I gotta go to the cross. <laughs> All these people aren't gonna worship me even after I go. Like, right? Like Jesus was he was worshiping God 
and the fa- like submitting to the Father and and submitting to his life to the will of the Father, even in something that would seem like the most outrageous suffering that anyone could suffer as an innocent person. And any little thing that happens to us, we fly off the handle and grumble complain. So working out our own salvation, and he talks about obedience. And, and when God has done a work in you, it's we can say we're saved and the, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us and God has done this work in us. But you're not supposed to just say, I'm saved. You're supposed to say, okay, I want the fruit of that, which involves not grumbling and complaining. I want the fruit of that, which involves selflessness and loving others. I want the fruit of that, which involves patience and kindness and self-control. I want the fruit. And that doesn't, fruit, you can have, you can plant a tree. If I plant an apple tree, the apple tree is in there, like is there, even in the seed. When the seed's in the ground, that seed has the full potential to produce an apple. But until that apple actually produces on the outside of that tree, it's doing me no good. Does that make sense? Like, like that seed has, seed has everything in it. God has put in you everything you need. But until that apple produces on the outside of you, that fruit produces on the outside of you, it, it's almost like you're wasting what God has put inside of you. You're wasting that potential that God put in you. And that's, that's the fear and trembling part. I don't want to waste what God has done. He, he, he did a work on the cross, and I don't want his work to be in vain. Now, Paul says, You want him to get all the glory, all the, glory the reward of his suffering. suffering. And if we don't use what he's given us, if we don't live up to what he's given us, it's like he's not getting the glory. He's not, he's not getting the full reward of his of his suffering. Exactly. And that's... Which is a sobering, <laughs> sobering thought, thought to think that, about. That should make you tremble. That you could... That you, the way you live and how you, you work out, you could l- do that in vain. That, that you could love Jesus, make it to heaven, but that he didn't get the full reward out of your life for, for his suffering because you didn't work out. Like the own parable thing. of like the... um. The talents. Yeah. What did you do with what, what he's given you? And yeah. did you just bury it in the ground, or did you? What did you do with it? Yeah. Go and, and do something with it, and that's that doesn't just apply to you know. I've heard that preach of money and all kinds of things, but at the end of the, your talents and your giftings, that's your salvation. Like he did something in For you. The ability he's given yeah. you, the calling he's given you. Yeah. Like, what, what are you, are you doing, doing with it? it? Like he saved you for a purpose. Are you, are you living according to that purpose? That's, that should make you sober. Um, now, there's more I could dive into here. He talked about, he said, do this without grumbling and complaining, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless. He links not grumbling and complaining to being, uh, <laughs> to being faultless and pure and blameless. Like, when I think of being pure and blameless and faultless, like I think of a, like, I'm going to be honest with you, grumbling and complaining is not what's in my head, mm-hmm. right? I'm thinking, oh, don't, don't do this sin. Don't do that sin. Don't, don't, you know, be a good person. Do the grumbling and complaining is one of those sins that I think we kind of overlook. It's like gluttony. Nobody talks about gluttony, right? <laughs> it's just one of those things we kind of just, and the reason gluttony is a sin is because it's a lack of self-control and self-control is the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's one of those things we don't talk. We don't talk about gossip. We we talk about we we talk about don't don't be looking at porn. 
right? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about don't, you know, don't go murder someone. Don't commit adultery. You know, don't, don't be beating people up. We'll, t- we'll talk about those type of things, but don't, don't talk about gossiping. Don't talk about grumbling and complaining. Those are ones we don't, we don't want to talk about. But Paul links those things, grumbling, arguing, complaining, those things. He links that to being pure and faultless and blameless. And I think the reason why is because it's easy, and I say easy, I'm sure there's people that struggle, and, and I know I've struggled with differences in my life, but it's easy to, okay, we can, we can identify lust, porn, you know, backbiting, drunkenness, whatever. Those things we can, we can identify and we can address them. The tongue, you know, James tells us the tongue is the hard, hardest thing to tame. Backbiting, arguing, complaining, those things, those are the secret sins that the little sins that we ignore because they're too hard. Like, you know how hard it is not to complain? That's hard. Grumbling, gosh, how, how, how I get aggravated and my first reaction is to grumble. So I think we ignore those so often because they're, they're the more difficult ones to actually deal with them. So if you, if you can deal with grumbling and complaining and get that under control, I think the reason Paul links that to being pure and being yeah. blameless is because if you can get that under control, all these other things, they're easy. I think it's, you can't just take like an index card and prop it up in front of you and say, you know, do not grumble, do not complain, do not grumble, do not complain. That's not going to work. Like no. it has to be in context of this, what this book is saying, like your mindset has changed and your mindset has yep. changed because you're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for Jesus. You realize that me living for myself without God has no meaning. There's no purpose in that. But if I'm living for Jesus, and I've given my life to Jesus, and he's given me his power, he's given me his word, he's given me his strength, then I can do this. When your mindset changes, because you've received revelation from God, from the word of God, that's what's going to, that's it's going to work outwardly. The work outwardly is going to be, you're not going to be grumbling and complaining, not because you're try, gritting your teeth and trying not to grumble and complain. I'm not going to grumble and complain because of the work he's doing inside of me. Right. The revelation I have inside of me, the mindset shift that's happening inside of me because my life is being renewed by the word of God. My life is being renewed by God because of that inward working outwardly. The outward working, the outward evidence, the outward result of that is going to be, I'm not going to be grumbling and complaining anymore. And it should be because I know in my past, I've just looked at this verse, do everything without grumbling and arguing. And I wrote it down in my journal and wrote it. I've actually written it out like on an index card and stuck it up on the sink. I can stare at that until Jesus comes back that just do everything without grumbling, and complaining and try not to grumble and complain. Every time I grumble and complain, be like, ah, oh, grumble and complain. But it's not that. It's as you realize that I'm on this earth to worship God. I'm on this earth to give God glory. I'm on this earth to enjoy the presence of God. I'm on this earth to proclaim Jesus. And as you realize that, and as your mind is changed through that, and as your mind is renewed through that truth in the work that Jesus is doing and has done inwardly inside of you, what is worked out of you is I'm not going to grumble and complain yeah. anymore. 
Yeah. So he, it's like that ties right in. I don't think I ever noticed that before, even though I've read it many times that what he's going to work out is the outward evidence is going to be you're not grumbling and complaining more. So people should be able to look at us and say, oh, they're Christians. They they don't grumble. They don't complain. So look at the workplace, at your job, if you're a Christian, you should be the one who's not, not that we don't make mistakes because we do make mistakes. We're not perfect, but like they should be able to say, oh, the Christians, we want to hire the Christians. They don't grumble and complain. But is that the case? Like, do you hear? Oh, we want to hire the Christians that those, he said he's a Christian. We know those Christians, they don't, they don't grumble. They don't complain. And so I think the, the key to this, if you're listening to this, the, the key for you and, and for us, for all of us is to look at this, say, okay, if this is supposed to be working outwardly in me, if, if, if God has put this in me and I'm supposed to be working this out, you should have two questions. And this, I think, is good for every Christian to, to do a heart check, right? So I should say, okay, if I'm not seeing the fruit of not grumbling and complaining or the fruit that I should be seeing, if I'm not seeing it, then I should, re, like, I should evaluate my, my inward heart. I should be going to God and saying, God, you're doing a work in me. You've saved me. You've given me your spirit. God, why am I not, why do I not have this inward desire to, to, to fix this? And if I do, why is it not producing fruit? What do I need to do to have this inward work out of me? Like you should be going to God and doing a check of my own heart. And then if I have this check in my heart and I realize, okay, I am, I do have this in me that I don't want to grumble and complain. I don't want to do these things. I have this desire to change this. Okay, now, God, give me your power and, you know, strategy to actually live this out. So yeah. I think sometimes we, 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 God does something inside of us, and then we just sit back and we're like, okay, it's on the inside of me now, so eventually I'll just see it manifest. No, we need to be praying. There's many examples throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament talks about Praying for strength, praying for wisdom, praying for revelation, praying for knowledge, praying to see rightly. Yeah, we should. A, 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 God is not a God who just is distant and he does something once and then he walks away. Right? God didn't just save you and then just, okay, you're saved now. I'm going to go deal with other people now. Like he, he has saved you and he, it's a relationship. You're walking with him. So in my marriage, in our, in our marriage, if there is something that bothers you, right? You don't come to me. You don't just keep it bottled up, right? You'll come to me, same vice versa. We'll talk, but then we need to talk. And when we have those conversations, it's then, okay, what do we do going forward to fix this? Like we, 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 we come together and, and that's how it is with God. God, if this is an issue, you're highlighting to me, this is an issue through scripture that my grumbling and complaining God, what you let's talk this through and what is the strategy? How do we fix this going forward? How do I work this actually out? How do I go from just having this on the inside, this desire not to do it, to actually not doing it? So, you know, whatever that may mean, you know, having someone in your life that you, you talk to them when they notice you grumbling and complaining that you've talked to them and said, hey, anytime you notice me doing this, pointed out to me and you have that connection, that accountability. It may be that um, when you catch yourself grumbling and complaining, 
you stop, you don't keep going. You stop midway and tell the person you're talking to, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be complaining. You know, whatever it is, whatever divine strategy God gives you for your life to actually work it out. And this isn't just grumbling and complaining. This is anything, right? If if you're someone who struggles with lust, maybe you shouldn't have a smartphone. Um, maybe you shouldn't be scrolling Instagram. Maybe you shouldn't be on social media. Maybe you should, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's strategies and things that God will highlight to you that what you need to do, but the key is to have a conversation with God about it in prayer and not to just get defeated because you're, you're not, you're, oh man, I'm still grumbling, complaining, I'm defeated. No, God's put in something inside of me. I want to work it out. So I'm going to go to God and we're going to work this out. How do I work this out and, and have that conversation? Yeah, because God. God is going to empower you. God is going to give you strength. His power is made perfect. His power is made complete in our weaknesses. So yeah. we give God our weakness and he empowers us in faith, gives us the power to do it. So in this command to do everything without grumbling and arguing, in that command, if we bring it to Jesus, is there's empowerment in the command. There's grace in the command. There's ability through Christ and the command, he's never going to tell us to do something that we can't do without him. I mean, right. not in ourselves, but but in him, everything in this book in Christ, we can do it in right. Christ that he's called us to do. We, we have, we have the strength in our weakness. His strength is made perfect. So when we are weak and we can't do it, he can, and we've submitted our life to him. So he empowers it, us. I think that's the the key Yeah, he, because we can read this and this book and read things like, you know, be angry and sin not. And it's like, okay, I can't, well, how am I going <laughs> to do that? But that's the thing. You're not going to do it. He's going to do it in you. Exactly. And I think that's the key. And if I want to leave you, we're going to wrap this up, but I want to leave you with just the encouragement to know that while some of these things we read in scripture, like do everything without grumbling and complaining, we read that and it seems so daunting because in our human flesh and our nature, grumbling and complaining is part of that human sinful nature. It's just when things don't go our way, that selfishness causes us to want to complain. But in this command, it can seem daunting to how do I do that? But the, the answer is in Jesus. The answer is he worked that salvation in you. Now you work it out, but it's already in you. He's already given you what you need to obey these commands. So now you seek God and say, God, what's your strategy for me? And walk, walk with God and walk it out with God. God's not looking at your every little mistake and say, oh, you grumbled and complained. You're, you're in trouble. Uh, no, he's looking at you and saying, hey, look, I've planted this better way in you. Now walk yeah. with me as we walk through to, to figure so out. God how always it calls us up higher to the standard. Yeah. Like if we miss the standard, he's not like kicking us like, ha ha, you missed it. How no, dare you? He just no, he's like, come on, come yeah. on, come up, come like, up higher. Like Peter, when Peter was walking on water and fell, God didn't say, how dare you? No, he did say, oh, you have a little faith, but he's point, he, was, he wasn't saying that in a con condemning way. He no, was he saying it in a... If you had more faith, yeah, like, would, you could do this. You could do it. Come on. And he reaches down and picks him up. And so I think... In the same way, that's how God is with us. So we'll leave you there. Go and have this conversation with your families. Um, you know, have this conversation with friends. Dig into the scriptures. Dig into Philippians with us. We'll be back next week on uh, Monday to talk about the next part of chapter two. So we, uh, we love you guys. Bye.